Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. This week on the show, consider it the live album. These are two... Like that, exactly. That was like my guitar that. riff. That was really good. You want to keep going? We got a little solo here. Should we wait till like the middle of the? It's the only thing I can play on the guitar. Is that part really? of Smoke on you the can, Water? You can play the guitar. Just that. Man, I learned maybe it when we I was should 12. do a live show. I used to play the bassoon. It would be real good. Smoke on the Water and bassoon, <laughs> bassoon guitar bassoon duo. solo. <laughs> Sounds kind of nerdetty. I feel like it's not that dissimilar from what we normally do. Of course, we would have a marching band instrument oh in our band. Oh my gosh! I said live albums, but what I really meant is conversations in front of a live audience. In a minute, we'll talk with Gillian Flynn. She is the author of Gone Girl. But first, a conversation with Tig Nataro. Tig is a stand-up comedian who's been well-known in sort of alt-comedy circles for quite a while, but she had her big break in 2012 when she got on stage and did a set about something that nobody expected to find funny. Hi, how are you? Is everybody having a good time? I have cancer. How are you? Ah, it's a good time. Diagnosed with cancer. Ah, feels good. Just diagnosed with cancer. Oh, God. oh my God. It's weird because with humor, the equation is tragedy plus time equals comedy. I am just at tragedy right now. That's just where I am in the equation. Oh, it's fine. I, uh, I'll, I'll, here's what happened. I went, I'm going to get, it's very personal. Found a lump. Guys, relax, everything's fine. I have cancer. Found a lump. Got a mammogram. You know, they're doing the ultrasound. They're like, oh, we found a lump. I was like, oh, no, that's my boob. A recording of that performance went viral. She also got a stand-up special, and there was a documentary about her on Netflix. And Tig has also just written a book about this whole experience. It's called I'm Just a Person. And Trisha, you spoke with Tig when she was in Chicago for BookCon. So, Tig, we're all thrilled you're here. We've been gratefully watching your recovery and the good news that you've had in your life recently. So... Let's start by saying congrats on getting married. Thank you. I heard somebody just go, oh! (laughs) Like it was a football game or something. (laughs) Touchdown! (laughs) This new book is I'm Just a Person, and I loved reading it. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, but there was more detail here. There was sort of 
the extended anecdote behind some of the favorite stories I've heard you tell, either in specials or on TV, and a lot of them center on your childhood, which I find fascinating, the dynamic between your, your stepdad and your mom. It seems like they couldn't have been really more different as people. Tell us a little bit about how different they were in their parenting styles. Oh, well, my mother was uh, wild and rebellious, and she dropped out of college, and she liked to party, and beyond college even. And I think that there was this part of her that rejected conformity and rules that whenever I kind of veered outside of what was expected of me and what I was supposed to do, there was a sense of, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I get it. And then my stepfather is a very kind of robotic person, that military attorney. But uh, yeah, when he would discipline, it was very, um, there was very much a structure to the discipline and he stuck to it. What happened if your toys were strewn about? Yes, he would, (laughs) I would have like 30 minutes to clean up my room and he would come in and inspect afterwards and if there was anything out of place. As a child, I was not very organized. I've learned to be organized. But I would just shove things behind stuff (laughs) and little heads of animals would be poking out. You know, that was me cleaning up and my stepfather would come in and when he would inspect and there was anything out of place, he would put it in a trash bag, lock it in his trunk. And then (laughs) then I had to do chores to earn nickels to buy Millennium Falcons back and... stuff zebras and stuff like that that's a pretty good price though the resale value was reasonable at least yeah it was very reasonable (laughs) the punishment was not but the pricing of my (laughs) buying my toys back which i to be fair i never bought them in the first place i think they were given to me yeah Your love of music started very early, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you weren't necessarily very thrilled about doing homework, but yeah. if it came to listening to the Beatles, you had a bit of a ritual. Is that right? Oh, and yes. I always wrote out lyrics to Beatles songs. I was just, I was truly obsessed with them as a small child. My ele- I mean, still love them, but elementary school, I was a nutcase. And so my... <laughs> I had written the words to um, when I'm 64 at my, I was staying with my grandmother when I was really little. And then years later, she had Alzheimer's and I was visiting her and she sat me down in her bed and she said, you wrote this song for me when you were really little. And I had to take credit for it because I didn't want (laughs) to break her heart. Be like, I didn't write that for you. So it was kind of embarrassing to sit and take responsibility for a Lennon and McCartney tune. Yep, I remember. And if you like that, I have a lot of other songs that have all hit number one that I think you would really like. You didn't always have an easy time in school, and and you left school without graduating high school. I wonder, looking back on that now, do you think that, you know, the way education seems to have changed, would it have been easier for you to find your place and, and make it through high school now, or do you think it would have been just as tough? 
<sighs> to get through middle school and high school. Nobody likes it, but you seem to really dislike it. <laughs> I hated. I mean, I remember people saying, you know, you're going to regret this. And I don't. <laughs> I still don't. Stay in school, kids. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I, I kept waiting for that to happen where I'm like, yeah, I wish I kind of stuck it out. But I remember asking if I could go to this performing arts school that was in my area. And, you know, my stepfather, of course, didn't see the importance of anything like that. And that's the only route, I think, that maybe could have helped if I was around different kinds of people that were maybe heading in more non-traditional directions in life and maybe weren't completely college and marriage and suburbia. Some other people who were going to wanted to, you know, play music and be actors and that kind of thing would have Something. made school a little yeah. more fun. Made That's a fair. few weirdos along the way. But I also, even though I didn't like school, what I realized as time passed was that I was reading all the time. I was reading rock biographies and I was reading rock magazines and I'm really good with grammar and I taught myself how to play guitar and drums and it wasn't like I wasn't interested. It just, I think that somebody could have reached me through my actual interests. All the things you're describing seem to be the things we're just stripping out of school more and more. So that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. You also, in the book, talk about a moment when you got a piece of paper and an envelope mm-hmm. to take to your parents. Yes. And tell us what that was and, and sort of what that did for you in terms of how you felt about school. Well, in sixth grade, I was handed an envelope that said to the parents of Tig Notaro, and they said, do not open this. Give this to your parents. And I said, okay. And I got on the bus, and I opened it immediately. And it had me checked off for all these learning disabilities that they wanted to test me for to possibly place me in special education. And I was, I I mean, it really did a number on my self-esteem. To be fair, I shouldn't have opened it. And probably I maybe had, I don't know if I had learning disabilities, but I think I might have just not been a clear case of a normal person. I think that's what was going on. You're just a person. Yeah, I'm just a not normal person. But really, should we be giving 11-year-olds important documents to shepherd around? (laughs) I think maybe that was the school's fault, too. Yeah, but I never showed my mother or my stepfather. I just put that away and went about life thinking, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be in special education. So it it was really a confusing time. The line in the book, which I love when you talk about this, is I think you say you put it in the closet with your latent homosexuality, which I just thought was a great sentence. Yeah, I Um, put it right next to that. (laughs) I was like, I'll deal with these things later. This over here. You were often as a kid dealing with parenting a parent in a way of, Mm -hmm. of having to sort of you know, take on more responsibility and be a little more structured um, because your mom was such a free spirit. How did that affect going into school and then suddenly not being in charge really of anything? To have so much agency at home and then, you know, especially young students are just sort of told exactly what to do all the time. Was that, was that part of what made school confusing for you? It's like, but I'm so much more independent than this is implying I am? Yeah. I, were you a good student? Yeah. Okay, I'm a nerd. 
You seem you seem fascinated by um, yeah. like it's the op. I I'm getting the feeling I was the opposite of what you were. We were in group projects together, is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my home life was for sure a huge clash with even not just school, but going to other families, other homes. I was like, this is so bizarre. So your mother just like cooks dinner for you and you know where she is at all hours? That's crazy, <laughs> you know? It took me a little while to realize that I don't have a very typical, not that anyone really has a typical family structure or parent, I mean, maybe you're all like, no, everything was fine. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it, I always think about how my parents were definitely n not typical, but then when you have a not typical upbringing and then you write a book or you do a comedy set about something, then it seems like, oh, it's comedians and artists that are right. weird, but it's, you just have kind of the platform to share your weird story. And then other people can be like, boy, that's a weird story. <laughs> it's not my life. <laughs> More of our conversation with Tig Notaro just ahead. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. Our guest this week is Tig Notaro, who talked to us about the avalanche of terrible things that happened to her and how she turned them into comedy. It took me a while to find humor in what happened, but in four months, a lot happened in 2012 from pneumonia to getting this bacterial infection that almost killed me to my mother tripping and hitting her head and dying. And um, after I got back from the hospital, back to my mother's house, after we took her off life support, there was a piece of mail that was sent to her. And when I opened it, it was a, a questionnaire for her to fill out asking how her stay at the hospital went. And I was, in the moment, I was furious. I was heartbroken. I was deathly ill. I, I was just rock bottom. And I wanted to just go up to the hospital and rip everyone's heads off. And, um, and then soon after that, I was diagnosed with cancer. And that's when <laughs> I just got a sense of humor where I was like, this is hilarious. <laughs> I am <laughs> withering away with this disease. My mother's dead. My girlfriend and I broke up right after my mother's funeral. And now I have cancer. <laughs> I was like a crazy person laughing. I mean, th trust me, it's not like I got my diagnosis and was just like, this is so funny. 
Um, but there was just, this is insane. And I started thinking about that questionnaire and I finally got a sense of humor about it. But it wasn't until, I don't know, a month later or something like that, that I could have some perspective and I needed a little distance and time. Did you find that it changed your relationship with the audience after shows and things like that? Instead of people walking up to you and saying, you're so funny, where they're like telling you cancer stories because people kind of want to open up to you about, you know, instead of just praising you, they want to tell you really sad stories because you've been so generous with telling yours. <laughs> you're welcome. I have been. <laughs> I've just doled out the sadness for you all to enjoy. Yeah, I definitely get a lot of intense interactions and stories and you know for me it it has felt like this cycle that yeah I I have I've had from the documentary to my book and my album and all these different outlets for me to tell my story and it's been nice that it's touched so many people and that they have shared their stories and kind of selfishly their stories are helpful to kind of keep me aware because I do have a real awareness that people are struggling in the world but I also that kind of ties into the title of the book of I'm just a person because not only did I in a mocking way end my HBO special saying I'm just a person kind of mocking people that take standing ovation seriously like <laughs> oh please please I'm just a person be seated it's a continuation of of that but also it's directly tied to my life falling apart and really questioning what is this all about and why me and how did this happen this and how it's supposed to go and it is how it goes sometimes for some people because I, I'm not special. I'm just a person. I can have tremendous tragedy pile up. That, it doesn't happen to everyone, and some people get it worse. But, yeah, it can be me, and it was me. I'm just a person is also a response to people being touched by my story and thinking they know me or wanting to be friends or interrupt my dinner or where I'm just like, I'm just a per, like I'm having lunch or I'm just, I'm just trying to, I shared what I did, but I, I need to be able to be a person in my own life. We're really good at that with celebrity in, in our culture, yes. treating people yeah, so good. humanely and yeah. normally. But I mean, a lot of people are, and a lot of people don't act weird. And one of my favorite interactions with somebody, <laughs> I think about this guy all the time. <laughs> and I hope to be reunited with him someday. I didn't get his name. I don't know what he looks like. But I was at the airport in North Carolina, and I was on one of those um, moving sidewalks through the airport. And I was headed this way, and he was headed that way. And when we passed each other, he was like, Tig, what's up? <laughs> and when that happened I of course for a second thought do I know that guy <laughs> and then I was like no I don't know that guy if I knew that guy he'd be like hey he would have you know he would have stopped of maybe course. <laughs> and he would have looked familiar that too um, 
but he was hands down the coolest person I've ever <laughs> encountered in my life. Here's why he's even cooler. When he passed me and he was just like, Tig, what's up? And then was like, mm. <laughs> I was like, who is that weirdo? Um, in a great way, weirdo. And I turn because I'm expecting him to look back like, yeah, oh, that was funny, huh? He never <laughs> turned to even do a second take like, you know what, I'm going to look at Tig again. Just, or even to like go, <laughs> nothing. He just, mm. and I watched him for as long as I could. And I was like, I love you. I, 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 I'm near daily, I think about that guy. <laughs> and I always hope maybe if I tell the story enough, I can like reach him some Craigslist misconnections, somehow. something. We could be friends. But yeah, in general, I think people are pretty nice and normal and they're just like, hey, I love what you do. And then they keep it moving. And then sometimes it's like, a, well, what do you need from me? I feel like I can't fill this void. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you know, there's maybe a, I'm not who you think I am. We're all just people. Tig, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Coming up, Gone Girl author Gillian Flynn tells us about the movie she must watch on a regular basis. Da-dum. There's a little hint for you. It's different than dun-dun. <laughs> That's the law and order. <laughs> yeah, is... do it again. Da-dum. Can we have a little more? Da-dum. Okay, and then bow, what? Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> this is a remix. <laughs> listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. Now our conversation with Gillian Flynn. She is the author of Gone Girl, which also became a pretty excellent movie, which I actually saw and really enjoyed, Trisha, weirdly enough. One of the 10 movies. Exactly. She's also the author of Sharp Objects and Dark Places. These are all really intense stories. If you haven't read them, they might make you feel a little bit crazy, to be honest, especially if you read them all in a row. These are stories about women who are, if not like certifiably crazy, at least like in very dark places. Very dark places, which made us wonder, is Gillian Flynn always in these dark places? But turns out she's a pretty lovely human. She really is. And I think the people who are at our recent live event would agree. Gillian, for you, let's start a little with your origin story. Mm. Did you always know you were going to be a writer? I always did. I mean, you know, I was one of those kids who was extremely cripplingly shy and liked to stand on the corners of rooms and judge other people. <laughs> so that's a writer, right? That's a writer. Like, yeah. <laughs> and my, my very first story I ever wrote was in third grade. It was two pages long. It was called Very Grandly to the Outhouse. Ah. Nice. And it was about a, a little uh, pilgrim girl, because I, I loved Little House on the Prairie. And she had to go to the outhouse at night. And she got there. And was about to go home. And wolves surrounded the outhouse. <laughs> oh, no. As they do. As they do. <laughs> and so she was very, like, 
very spunky and very Laura Ingalls and was like, I'm going to get back because I've got butter to churn. Things got, to do. Got some gingham to sew. <laughs> and I love my family. And at the end of the story, she burst forth from the outhouse and was immediately devoured by the wolves. No. <laughs> wow. So you were young and creepy, too. Young and creepy. <laughs> Which is, there's nothing worse than young and creepy. It's very spooky. It's very, very the shining. It's like, So thanks for coming us. to the parent-teacher conference. Um, yeah. Here's what we'd like to discuss. The other children... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We've got some recommendations for you. <laughs> so it was actually the first winter that I had moved to Chicago. I read all three of your books in a row in January, and I'm pretty sure I lost my mind for a while. And I I don't want to blame you or anything, but I am really curious, like, I mean, even just reading your books, there were some dark thoughts for me, and I'm curious how you balance your own sanity as you're living in these worlds, writing these stories. I love scary stories. I think people are born to either love it or not love it. You know, people always ask me, like, why do I write it? And it's like, you either want to look under the rock or you really don't. Mm -hmm. And I was always one of those kids who was like, let's look under the rock. Let's see what happens. And, And so I do get very into writing the books. And what I discovered certainly with Gone Girl was... Basically, the story about Gone Girl is I had re- was recently married and decided that would be a great time to write a book about toxic marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's super healthy. They say write and, what you don't know. I mean, so that's yeah. not an indication of anything. <laughs> yeah, thanks to my husband who was like, go down, go forth, <laughs> like write what you want to write and everything. And um, But I realized I was kind of carrying some of that negative energy. You, you spend all day writing really nasty stuff and you bring it back to your home sometimes. And so the office is kind of downstairs and I realized that it was really unhealthy for me about what I was doing. And so now I have a a little plaque on my desk that says, leave the crazy downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) And what I do is normally about 15 minutes before I come up, I put on Singing in the Rain. Oh, I, I, do. I love Singing in the Rain. <laughs> Who doesn't love Singing in the Rain? Um, yeah, and I do the Moses Supposes dance number. That's my favorite. That's fantastic. <laughs> Moses Supposes his toes are roses, in case you were You wondering. cannot kill anyone after seeing Moses Supposes. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> so I was wondering, you know, would you write about happy, well-adjusted people, or does that just not interest you? That's... It's interesting. My next book is about shopping and boys and heels <laughs> that's not ever gonna happen no um. <laughs> see i thought you said chopping and i was like okay <laughs> this doesn't sound any different that makes more sense they're well yeah. adjusted <laughs> what are some of the other things that you nerd out about you you tipped us off that one of them is a f- another film that you rewatch quite frequently oh jaws jaws <laughs> Jaws is the DNA of the perfect film. Like, the only bad thing that I ever have to say about Jaws is that at the end you get to see them reach safety, because I'd love to leave them out there. (laughs) How often do you watch it? I usually watch it once a month. I love that. And you can, like, I just, like, I don't know what it is about it, but I, I, partly because my dad, who was a film professor, took me to it at age five Ooh, well he was like it's spielberg you must know about spielberg it's, impor- it's important little gilly um and so it's one of my earliest film memories but also just because it's so good and i have a kind of a little bit of a Roy scheider thing so <laughs> what else do you nerd out about 
I love to read, like, I'm obsessed with Stars My Destination, which may someday be a movie. One other person is also One other. <laughs> Well, that's going to get it sold, right? All right. <laughs> Two nerdettes love that book. <laughs> and then what about Ms. Pac-Man? I, f- I hear you're pretty good. I kill. <laughs> I guess, so that was like my big... For- I'm like, I'm turning 40. Like, I'm going to do... Just get something cool for myself that I've always wanted, but I'm not that into that much. So I got an upright Galaga Miss Pac-Man yeah. video game downstairs. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I go, you know, that, that's how I reward myself when I write a certain amount. I'm like, and then you can go play Miss Pac-Man. Oh, and Joust. I've got a Joust thing. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't stop. So like you finish a chapter and then you get to play Pac-Man yeah. and then you finish a chapter. and you get, That sounds like a pretty good life, I have to say. <laughs> And it wakes you up, you know, that gets the adrenaline going. Like, I can't play video games without literally sweating. Like, I just <laughs> break into a sweat. And so you get, you know, all excited about it. And I do, I have the, I probably have one of the all-time, probably, Miss Pac-Man scores. All-time in your basement or all-time? I don't want to do the, uh, the new King of Kong documentary about me, but... <laughs> There you go. Well, I think that that sounds like a pretty good uh, work-life balance yes. to just go back and forth between the writing and the Pac-Man. Right Jaws, Pac-Man. Right Jaws, Pac-Man. There you <laughs> it's go. A perfect work. Gene Kelly. Work-life there it is. Balance. I'm coming to your house. What's it like to go through the process of having something you've written go to a different medium? So you know, for you're doing it again soon. It sounds like, but for Gone Girl, what was that process like for you of going from a sort of a finished work to beginning a whole new creative process? First of all, I was incredibly lucky because most novelists don't get to have that happy ending. Like most novelists I know are like, my God, what have they done? Why, why is a dog starring in this movie about, about cancer? I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was really lucky that I had David Fincher, you know, by my side and, and that he really said, like, let the writer write it and, and, and see what happens. And so it was this very cool collaboration. It was really fun for me after having been in my own little weird Gone Girl world for a couple of years. And you should have seen my my study, my way to organize is to write something down on a sticky note and paste it to the wall. <laughs> and so by then it was like, it was right outside like our guest room. It was like, there's all these crazy notes for me of like, is mother dead yet? <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so somebody comes over to stay at the Flynn house. And you say, okay, so just go down the stairs, past the wall of murderous statements, and I've got some towels laid out for you. Let me know if you need anything else. Is that how it goes? It's like, it's like there, you'll see a sign about DNA processing from a burned victim. So go past that, take a left. Um, it, is, it actually is kind of like that. So it is. Yeah. And then you can then you can play Miss Pac-Man though, right? It all works out. So Gillian, if you were to pick, uh, you know, one sequel to write, so a, a book that you love or a movie that you love that you just think was ended too soon, and you could maybe it's Jaws, <laughs> but that you would pick a, you know, you want to write the next iteration of that story. Is there something like that for you that you you feel is unfinished that you would love to take a crack at? I mean, the, the stories that stay with me are the stories I loved as a child. And so, you know, my favorite ones were Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and a wonderful book called The Westing Game. Oh, I um, love nice. that book. And yeah, Among My People. <laughs> yes, these are your people. <laughs> um, so I feel like maybe the, the Westing Game, like I loved 
Tabitha Ruth Wexler, who's one of the all-time great small child girl heroes who like and it's wordplay and it's a mystery and from the very beginning I was I remember reading that when I was about eight and going hmm like Hmm. maybe maybe there's something here Thanks to author Gillian Flynn, who recently joined us for a live event. Stay tuned for when you can catch us live again. We'll be in the wild this summer. A little bit here and there. Out, out and about. in the wild. Out in a boot. Out in a boot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not going to Canada. Sorry, Canadians. Aww. If you lobby hard enough, we'll come. Really? I feel like I we have know. to go to Alaska before we go to Canada. Not that Isn't I'm hating on, on the Canada. way. It is on the way. You know, my friend recently discovered that Alaska is connected to Canada. She thought it was an island. That's because of bad map making. It was very upsetting. The whole thing. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, with help from Joe Dusso and Colin McNulty. Thanks also to our live events coordinator, Tyler Green. You are amazing. And to the folks at the Biograph Theater in Chicago, where you can see really excellent plays when they're not hosting live podcasts. Mm-hmm. Check out that space. And thanks to the folks at BookCon, who bring delight to all the book nerds of Chicago once a year by bringing in all our favorite authors. Our sound engineers for both of these live recordings were Mary Gaffney and Sarah Liu, who are also pretty excellent humans. Our interns are Maya Cole and Seabrin Mallard. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can listen to us wherever you are, but we would love it if you took the plunge and subscribed. On iTunes, Stitcher, maybe you can follow us on NPR One or the new WBEZ app. I like it. If you're feeling generous, give us some stars on iTunes. It helps spread the good word about Nerdette. Slugbug Gal did this and did it with style because she included, (laughs) I think, about a dozen of the nerd face emojis. Those are the glasses and the buck teeth. You know, my dad has gotten really good at using that emoji, which is kind of great because I feel like he's not the most tech-savvy fella. You can find us on Twitter at Nerdette Podcast, on Instagram. Goodreads is where Greta writes tiny book reviews. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where there are delightful podcasts for nerds of all stripes. You can find out more at WBEZ.org slash podcasts. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.